Tomorrow all the things were gone I'd worked for all my life And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Where the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Armchair Survivalist. My name's Kurt Wilson, and I'm the Armchair Survivalist. And today is July the 12th in the year 2020. I had to open with that song. Some uh, One of my listeners sent it to me, and it just brought tears to my eyes. So I wanted to share that with you. If you go to armchairsurvivalist.com, now, obviously, you know at least one way to listen to me because you're listening to me. But if you go to armchairsurvivalist.com and you scroll down any page, you're going to see ways to listen. Name an app and I'm on it. I'm on Stitcher, Anchor, TuneIn, Podbeam, iHeartRadio, Pandora. I'm on even on YouTube. My son puts me up on YouTube. And astoundingly, the communists there haven't uh, edited me or, or shut me down yet. Go figure. But I'm on every 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 podcast type thing you can dream of. I'm also on satellite, Global Star 3 satellite system. You can listen in the chat room here. 
armchairsurvivalist.com slash chat dot html. You can listen on your phone. You just dial 641 area code 741-0371. It's not toll free. 641-741-0371. If you miss the show and you want to hear the latest show, well, you go to armchairsurvivalist.com. At the top of the page, you will find the link that says listen 24 hours a day to the recent show of the Armchair Survivalist. Click here. And voila, you can listen to it. Now, if you want to listen to any of my past shows, on the left-hand side of the page, you'll see the little white nipper dog listening to the RCA Victor Gramophone. You click on that. That'll take you to a page that lists all the shows for the current year. And it'll tell you whether they're replays or new shows. And then you just uh, figure out, you know, you can save save it as, or you can click it and play. You know, you'll figure that stuff out, okay? All right, let's get directly into the economy there are over 8,700 stores going to be closing. They've announced all through the past few months what's closing. There are stores closing that I grew up with, and I'm astounded at this. And I've talked about some of these. Everyone knows about Pennies and Sears and, and like that, but there are stores that, that I didn't know were closing. Uh, well, obviously, we know about JCPenney and Kmart and Sears, and I told you about Chuck E. Cheese closing. GNC, GNC was the first first uh, chain health food store in the world. I remember those when I was a young hippie. Uh, Neiman Marcus is closing. Pier One Imports, Signet Jewelers, Tuesday Morning. I have a list here, including Bloomingdale's are closing one store. A lot of them are closing the main stores and trying to. They're going to try and make a go of it on uh, the on the internet. And a lot of these companies. You can go look at these things. You, you know, I'll have them posted in my show notes. You can go look at them, and you can see what they're closing down. And I'll tell you something else that's closing. Dunkin' Donuts. I grew up with them, too. Dunkin' Donuts is closing over 450 stores all over the United States. They're going to try and stay open on the Internet again. Well, let's see how well that goes for everyone. Now, let's get into food and health. Those of us who know better than to wear a mask... Because, well, we're not stupid, and uh, we, we don't go and put ourselves into stupid positions like these millennial commies do as they march down the street claiming that they're for Black Lives Matter. Uh, but the psychs now, the psychiatrists, are, are, are developing a new psychosis. Uh, they haven't got the name for it yet, but they're, they're going to classify everybody who refuses to wear a mask or who doesn't believe that this pandemic is real. They're going to call them something. I, uh, they're not sure yet, uh, but but in the journal Social Psychology and Personality Science, they're attempting to uh, stigmatize everyone uh, who doesn't want to wear a mask or who thinks it's uh, uh, toro caca. I'll let you know as soon as they figure out what they're going to call us, and because because I'm sure you'll you'll hear yourself being called that too. The Centers for Disease Control has even come out and admitted that most of the tests, these uh, uh, COVID-19 tests, you get a positive result back. All it means is that you previously had contracted the common cold because the same footprints show up in, in the test. So literally everybody's going to test positive. The uh, the drug that Trump was saying how uh, it's, it's possible that it's going to work for everyone. He took it for two weeks. Hydroxychloroquine. Well, there is a test that came out, uh, hydroxychloroquine, and it comes out and it says it's uh, the Henry Ford Health System, in fact. Henry Ford. This is a big, big system. 
It says it lowers the death rate among hospitalized COVID-19 patients by a significant margin. And I have the test. You can look at it yourself and realize that this is utterly, utterly unbelievable what the powers that be are trying to shove down our throats. Then on the other hand, they're trying to have nothing going down our throats, meaning no food. (laughs) I don't know if you guys have noticed when you go shopping, but I am. I'm in Idaho. You ever hear of Idaho potatoes? They're usually as big as my foot. And now you go in and store and all you're finding are seed potatoes. Seed potatoes are little tiny ones, right? They're the size of a, of a baseball. And why do we have all of these seed potatoes? Because the big farms aren't planting uh, potatoes. They, they didn't harvest their potatoes. They had to plow them under because the government, and when I say government, I'm talking state government, wouldn't allow them to have, uh, have migrants come in and harvest them. So they had to plow them under. So now there are companies that only grow seed potatoes, these little tiny ones. Literally, you take these, shove them in the dirt, and add water. That's it. Next thing you know, you got a bunch of potatoes. That's how they grow. That's how you do it. Well, nobody's buying those potatoes, so the, the, the farmers are selling them to the stores. I go in and I get a, I get a 10-pound bag of potatoes. Not one of them is even half the size of my fist. The Ice Age farmer has more information on this. This is actually happening right now. The Ontario farms are being actively shut down. Premier Doug Ford sends emergency managers to help fight crisis. This is July 3rd. Premier Doug Ford has deployed Ontario's emergency management team to Essex County to battle the COVID-19 crisis sweeping through the migrant farm sector. We deployed our emergency operators down there. Quote, it's all hands on deck down there. The province is sending in reinforcements. On Wednesday, all workers were ordered at a farm to stop work and go into isolation. Stop food production. It's happening. It's happening now. Ontario's chief coroner said the emergency management team will provide care and support for these workers at this farm that was ordered to stop work. Initially, they said, you can't even hire new workers. We're taking your your current ones because they're testing positive, and we're not even going to be allowed to, to hire new ones due to an ongoing risk that needs to be mitigated. They've since stepped back on that a little bit and said, now you can at least do it with our approval. But he added, we're going to order more stoppages of work if I believe it's necessary. Total control, dictatorial shutdown of our food supply by this premier in Ontario. It's just staggering. After stating the farm could not hire new workers to replace those in isolation, they've since stepped back from that stance. Now we're now we're having a conversation about it. It's an ongoing conversation. Maybe, maybe you'll be allowed to, to start working again, but you can't do it on your own. So this is happening now, and I just want to be very clear. This is not an isolated incident. I just had a great conversation with Marjorie Wildcraft and she made it clear when she shared because she's in touch with thousands of organic farmers and whatnot that this is happening all over the place. A lot of my friends are actually small local organic farmers. Surprise, surprise, right? But anyway, uh, you know, like one of them in particular, Lynn, uh, she said, you know, one of her workers tested positive for COVID. Not like any signs or any problems or anything, but one. And so they all quit. And there she is. And like she can't, you need to have five people to run that farm. You can't do it with one. So, you know, that's just one example. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this spring, how many acres and acres and acres of fresh produce were plowed under because there just wasn't the migrant because we shut down the, the borders and didn't let any pickers in. How many crops were not planted because we just didn't have the labor to do it? So uh, we are in 
what you're just saying, like there just isn't going to be that much food. I don't know how it's going to fall out, but I can promise you that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, but they will get better. So there you hear it. Farms are being shut down, not just by the state edict when necessary, but by virtue of all of the propaganda, all of the, the media scare stories that have gone out. And then as soon as there's even the whisper about a possibility of someone testing positive, never mind symptoms, never mind actual, you know, that everybody just quits and the operation is shut down. It doesn't have to be by virtue of the government mandate. Now, you heard Marjorie say how many acres of food didn't get planted? How many acres of organic farms was plowed under because they couldn't get out there to work in the fields? The numbers are staggering. In fact, they're so huge that they are incomprehensible. The human mind cannot just dream up what it looks like to see six million potatoes thrown into a hole when there's no place to, to, to move them, as was the case during this huge supply chain disruption as the pandemic and the lockdown started. Here is a video that actually shows you six million potatoes being pushed into a hole. These potatoes aren't going to end up on your dinner table. Their final destination is this hole. We're in the small town of Sheridan, Montana, on a potato farm. Normally, this time of year, Bill and Peggy would be sending their potatoes to be planted. Instead, they're throwing away 700 tons. Potatoes have been awful good to us for a lot of years, but this year it just really turned sour. And the same thing is happening across the Northwest. I mean, it was just unprecedented. It's the supply chain from the growers to the supermarket that got interrupted. More than half of our market shut down by government mandate. Now, farmers across Idaho and Montana are stuck with mountains of potatoes. Peggy and Bill are facing $140,000 in losses. For farmers across Idaho and Montana, that number comes to $8 million. Some of these farmers are looking at red all over their balance sheet and there's no black to be seen. They'll be looking into increasing their lines of credit. They'll be needing to remortgage some of their property, you know, just trying to free up more capital. And you also hear there that the farms are, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's financial devastation to all of these farms. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, of crops being thrown away, not getting to market, dairy being dumped. The numbers are awful. And you heard them say, we're going to be forced to tap new lines of credit. But as I've covered, we've also seen that the central banks and institutions like BlackRock have said that if you're an old farm or a ranch, we're not going to give you capital anymore. We're going to divest from those old, dirty ways of doing things. We're only going to fund the new green deal, right? The, the farms that are indoor, the cricket-based proteins, all of this nastiness that the UN has been pushing in Agenda 21, that's where the money will go. So while they crush the old farmers and ranchers and, and force them to try and come out for, for more lines of credit, yeah, that credit's not going to be there. And these family-owned generational operations will be shut down. All because of this virus, all because of this testing, whatever you think about the virus, the tests are a disaster. Look at Mexico, 50% of the tests there coming back positive. But you don't see mass death in the streets. You don't see them shutting down all of their food production because half of their people are testing positive. And that's just so the people they're testing. No, even in Florida, we see the same thing. Coronavirus spike is ravaging the migrant farm workers, laying that predictive programming saying, pretty soon we're going to shut down the farms in Florida too. It's not quite harvest season there. In Ontario, it is, right? We're climbing up on it, so we're going to shut down the farms now. Florida's got a little bit longer growing season, so we'll give it a couple more weeks. And then, sure enough, though, you can bet your bottom dollar they're going to move in and do the same thing here because it's a global program. They're shutting down food production. Never mind the fact that even there in Florida, we saw news that said 33,000 tests were completely wrong. 
The tests are a disaster, but they are being used as the pretense to do whatever they want, to shut down the farms. You can still go to Walmart. To shut down the meat plants, you can still go riot in the streets. No social distancing necessary. It's completely ridiculous what's going on right now, and it's happening everywhere. Brazil, now a thousand workers at a pork processing plant there testing positive jbs the world's largest meat packer shutting preparing to shut down their plants there this is of course on the heels of the same thing happening in the united states between china brazil and the u.s those are the world's biggest producers of meat and so when you see them shutting down i, I don't even have words at this point we've been talking about a global protein shortage even before 2020 busted on the scene and caused all these issues so where we are now is just unthinkable you know i've been talking about this effort to link this dirty way of doing things, the farms and the ranches and the meat, it's all dirty, it's all ridden with viruses and pandemics, and it's causing human death. Now we're actually seeing that narrative be deployed. Here is a store from southern Germany, it's Aldi Sud, with a sign posted on the door. I actually contacted a professional German translator to make sure that I got this right. Corona information distributed by the southern German branch of Aldi says, quote, meat, dairy, and egg consumption make pandemics more likely. There it is. There's the fat finger of blame being pointed at the old, dirty way of growing food, of producing meat, even eggs. You see that the blame is being pegged squarely on food production. Never mind the fact that Fauci was funding this research and then shipped it to China when it was illegal. This is all absurd. Again, quote, continuing, 80% of pandemics have their origin in the animal industry. The industrial factory farming is the ideal breeding ground for new pathogens. Epidemics benefit from the rising number of livestock. So, to reduce the likelihood of future pandemics, the consumption of animal products needs to be reduced drastically. And then they put they put it on you. You're going to have to change your diet. Just like the UN IPCC land use report said last year, we're going to have to force people to change their diet. Don't know how we're going to do it. This is how. You can reduce the risk of a next pandemic by eating plant-based foods. In German, it's like plantly food. They don't even really have it. A word for this is very Americanism coming in there. We thus ask you in this last line, we thus ask you to abstain from animal products. Direct request to the consumer, stop eating animal products. It's unbelievable. Now, this grocery store could just as easily solve this problem by not buying from the disgusting factory farms that they themselves have created. These big companies have bought up and consolidated all the uh, all the good family farms, all the nice ranchers have been consolidated and bought up over the years and to JBS, into Tyson, and it was they who created this Frankenstein disgusting, nasty factory farming model in the first place. We should shut down those people. But no, it's you. You have to change what you're doing, because we couldn't possibly figure out how to instead source our meat from, you know, Gay Brown or other regenerative practitioners that are actually doing things the right way. No, no, no. We can't buy meat from them. We're only buying it from the factory farms, which means you have to change your diet. You see how ridiculous this is? And I hope it's now clear, if you, if you had any doubt about what I was making that claim before, that they are going to pivot this whole narrative and say pandemics are because of meat and you need to stop eating it, now it's right here in your face. We thus ask you to stop eating meat. From Aldi in southern Germany, it's a bold move. They really like their meat there in southern Germany, but that's why they're going to have to 
Start making that case. Put up the signs. Get people to stop eating meat. And again, this is global. Here it is from China. They also like their meat there. But they're going to start moving that goalpost a little bit at a time. China aims to phase out the sale of live poultry at the food markets. On Friday, China vowed to gradually phase out the slaughter and sale of live poultry in a move welcomed by animal rights activists. It means that you won't be able to source from your corner store. You're going to have to go to those huge meat packers now. The big companies, they get to control the food supply. You do not. Even if you think this is gross, the wet markets, what they are doing is shutting down your ability to keep your own flock of of birds, your ability to do your own slaughter. This is the way that people have done it since the beginning of time is keep a small flock of hens on Sunday morning. It's ready for your chicken dinner. You go out and slaughter that bird. No, not not anymore. Now you got to go to the supermarket and buy their meat. Or if you're in Germany, Aldi's going to get rid of it and you'll be forced to buy plant-based products. You can see even in China and Germany, they're moving these goalposts slowly forward. And of course, it's because after a recent COVID-19 outbreak in Beijing was traced to a major agricultural wholesale market. Never mind what we've seen about where this virus was created and how it spread. And all of these things are being done on top of the natural cycles that are causing tremendous crop losses. Of course, I've spoken to the Grand Solar Minimum extensively by now. We're still seeing record colds, snow falling in China yesterday, catastrophic Alberta bee population losses blamed on the excessively cold winter. The damages to agriculture are already staggering. And you would expect that if we had any real leadership, they would be encouraging you to start growing your own food, that we would be moving to a distributed model where we all grow food and we have amazing resiliency as a result of that, not to mention beautiful, delicious, nutritious, better food in all respects. But no, no, they're seizing on the opportunity to shut down the food supply even more shut down the farms, make it illegal to grow your own meat because they want total control. And that's why they're funding the billionaires are throwing billions of dollars at fake meat, lab-grown meat, 3D-printed vegan steaks. You can see the fat and the blood, which are neither fat nor blood, being layered on by the 3D printer to make this fake meat. That's what they want you to eat because they control it. Because you can't do this yourself. You got to buy it from them, from Bill Gates. He wants to control. They want to control everything. It's not just Bill Gates. Get this information out there, ladies and gentlemen. People need to know that our food supply is being shut down. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find my work on IceAgeFarmer.com. Please spread the word about what's going on. Encourage people to be taking time today and every day to move back to independence from these people. Get off of the systems that they are imploding right now in their bid for total control. So as I was saying, that there is a shortage of food. Uh, many different types at many different times in many different locations throughout the world. It's not all food is shortage. We're, you know, It's not everything, everything you can't get. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Just for your own safety and your family's safety, make sure you listen to the last hour of the show because I'm going to be talking about uh, food and how you can package it and where you can get it and all of this good stuff. We've, we've got to, you've got to put it all together. All of the stuff I've ever talked about, about food, you've got to put it together and you've got to do it now if you haven't already. Now, as if you hadn't had enough of it, now we're going into the liberal psychosis. And I'm going to have to skip around and cut a few things because the, the, uh, the last part of the show has taken up a lot of time. Well, let's see. ABC, remember you, you, you've heard on the news about how some guy driving a Jaguar, a Jaguar, they didn't say a car, they said a Jaguar, blew through the lines of the communists that were blocking Interstate 5, and he hit uh, two of these semi-humanoid creatures. We're not even sure what they are. They're, they're, I mean, they're not male, they're not female, they're, they're not human, and I don't know what they are. He killed one, wounded the other, and ABC 
and CBS and NBC came out and said, oh, yeah, this was a, uh, a white guy in a luxury car. Turned out to be a, a black guy. This is how they manipulate the news. Remember on Fox News, there was this guy named Shepard Smith? He, is a, he was a closet communist, and he is a Trump hater. And I knew this from day one. Well, they finally, well, they're not going to, they don't say it this way. Fox let him go. Thank God. Now the guy's going to be working over on CBS with the rest of the communists. One of the founders of Black Lives Matter, uh, this is one of the psychotic socialist lesbians, says that all whites are subhumans. Blacks are superhuman, and the whites should be eradicated because we're worthless. We don't, uh, we don't do anything positive for society. The communists in charge of New York City has decided to ban all meetings except these vital protests because, well, they, they, the, the people of color have to go out and get their point across. Of course, less than 10% of the people that are protesting are black. Uh, the rest of them are the communist whites. The Ru- Mount Rushmore agitator, this is the big guy that caused all the problem at Mount Rushmore. Well, he's been charged with five different felonies. And this is what they're doing now. You pull this crap, they're going to snag you and they're going to charge you up the butt. You want to spend 10 years in jail? Be my guest. Remember I talked about Reddit? This is the forum website where you can go and you look read all kinds of different forums. Everything from how to make chicken noodle soup, and there's about 18,500 people on that forum. Or firearms, and there's probably 12.4 million people on that, fire, on that uh, forum. Well, Reddit has succumbed and sunk to the lowest of the lows. They've come out and said anybody who posts anything, doesn't matter what it is, that shows a person of color as an aggressor is going to be banned. So in other words, if a black guy kills a white guy, you can't say that. Otherwise, you'll be banned. If a white guy kills a black guy, that's okay. This is insane. Uh, Let's see. FBI discovers 256 emails between the uh, eyeball guy, Schiff, and Epstein. 256 emails. A friend of mine's a a realtor here in town, in Coeur d'Alene. And they were talking about, should we drop the word master in bed with referring to the master bedroom? Should we drop that word because it's racist? Seattle is holding, and they have held already, unwhitening classes for us ignorant white people. Because remember, nobody's racist except white people. Blacks, Mexicans, Asians, they can't be racist because they're not white. To qualify to be a racist, you have to be white. Now, when I was talking about Fox News, there's, and I, I forgot the name of it, but this group of people, uh, 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 Greg Gutlick is one of them, and I'm probably mispronouncing his last name, Gutlieb, I don't remember, but he's funny. And they have, Fox has this black guy, Juan Williams. He is, he's a nice guy, but one of the stupidest people I've ever met. And he, even when you hand him a bowl of jello and say, Hey Juan, do you want some of this jello? He'll hold it, look into it, and say, What jello? All right, Greg, what did you think about the president using the phrase terrorists when talking about the agitators and the looters? I don't know. I mean I I don't think words are enough anymore. I think that there needs to be some kind of action. And I'm not sure what it is, but the, the, what I find interesting is the gun violence in Chicago is a reality. What you're seeing going on in America is a racial hysteria. So why is one gaining attention and the other isn't? And I believe that the worst thing a black community can do as a whole 
is take advice from coddled, white, over-caffeinated, over-educated, under-experienced, left-wing individuals. <laughs> because look at the consequences. The black-on-black crime or the gang violence and the gun violence is ignored, but everybody's running around tearing down statues. So I want to end the race war that we are, seem to be experiencing today. I'm going to blow your mind with this, okay? There are more differences and conflict within whites than there are between whites and blacks. There are more conflicts and differences between whites than there are between whites and blacks. When you look at those pasty white wimps out there running around vandalizing and destroying property, I realize that I have absolutely nothing in common with these laughable losers. And in fact, when anybody looks at the TV, they realize they have no, nothing in common as a white person with these failures. So it's insulting to me, and it should be insulting to every white person, that you, are, you think that race binds us. It doesn't bind us. I have more in common with black winners than white losers. And that's the truth of all human beings. We have a, we, what ties us together is achievement and not grievance. So white winners and black winners are on the same side. And stay away from the white losers because they are poisoning the minds of everybody. That will end racism if all the winners of every race and color join together and laugh at the losers. Yeah, I like that idea. Uh, Juan Williams, too. we talked about it yesterday. Well, I, I'm here to defend my white brothers. This isn't really wild. <laughs> Look, I, I, I think this. I think what's going on here is President Trump is desperate. His poll numbers have cratered, and when he was asked last night on Sean Hannity's town hall meeting, you know, what's coming next? What's your message? What's your agenda? He really didn't have much to say. He says he's experienced. He's great. Everything will be great. So what he does, Jesse, is he takes a few instances of looting or bad behavior and he blows it up. Suddenly, cities are war zones, Afghanistan. Suddenly, these people are terrorists. They're so powerful. They're threatening our social fabric. I mean, the reality is that his message well, is Well, I mean, I think if you lived in working. Minneapolis, me, Minnesota, you'd probably agree that it did no, look let me, like a let war me just zone say because something. everything's on fire and it cost a billion dollars in damage. Now, look, they, you, you can keep showing the same footage again and again and again. But here's, let me just say, it's real. don't trust me on this. Don't trust me. Listen to the Wall Street Journal. In their lead editorial this morning, they said Trump is headed for a historic loss as millions of Americans are close to saying that they can't risk four more years of this, they can't stand it. They're talking about suburbanites. They're talking about women. They're even talking about seniors abandoning Trump. And I think that's why he's engaged in this kind of horrible imagery and language, because he doesn't have a message. He didn't. He's not killing people okay, in Chicago. Well, think, he's not looting, Juan. These <laughs> things are actually real. They're not fantasies. He could do a better job facing these problems. We agree with that. But you can't lay those problems on him as somehow he's conjuring this stuff up in order to win an election. This stuff is real. People are suffering, Juan. They're suffering in Chicago. They're suffering in Minneapolis. They're suffering in New York. They're suffering in Atlanta. They're suffering in Dallas. They're suffering in California. And you go, isolated incidents? Wake up, Juan. you got to wake up to this and start, and start helping your party face the truth. The problem with the Democrats, 
is that they don't want the truth because they've already been brainwashed into the truth. So they're told the truth. And then, of course, they believe it because unlike normal people who, when somebody says, uh, did you know that up is down? Well, normal people would say, um, let me check on that. Oh, let me Google that, right? And they go check it and they go, hey, you're full of crap. What are you talking about up is down? No, Democrats don't do that. Democrats are like unprogrammed little robots. And they're programmed very easily by ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, DailyCost.com, and all the rest of the communist organizations that are out there. I met with a gentleman last week, and he was telling me, he's a psychologist, and he says, I do not understand this. I have never had this problem in my life. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, people come to me, and they have anxiety, and my job is to try and communicate with them and find out what's causing it and calm them down and all of this, and he, what he does is help helps people who ha- have anxiety, and he teaches them to change their viewpoint a little bit so certain things don't affect them like it it, it does every day they learn how to handle it better he said none of them will change their viewpoint none of them will believe anything other than what they're told they won't critically think they won't evaluate all they do is they're like programmed and this is where I'm getting this idea this robot They're like robots that are programmed, and I can't change the programming. I don't understand it. These are Democrats. This is what we have to contend with. And I hate to say this, but this is the way I was raised, and this is the way I was trained in the military, is if if you have an aggressor that comes towards you, and you try and talk them down, and communicate to them, and change their viewpoint to where they're not so angry, and it doesn't work in a few seconds, do what you have to do. To stop whatever the antagonism is. And that could be simply grabbing them, putting them to the ground, hitting them with a stun gun, a taser, a bright flashlight, pepper spray, or 200 grains of copper jacket 45 going 800 feet per second. Whatever it takes to handle that. He doesn't understand why these people can't think. There's a group of congresswomen, women, uh, they're all anti-white, anti-American, extremely racist Muslims, uh, females, in uh, in Congress here in the United States. And I'm astounded that anybody in their right mind would ever, ever vote for them. But now they're putting forward these bills to defund the police and all law enforcement nationwide and to force whites to pay reparations to blacks, to all the slaves that uh, we brought in over from Africa, I guess. I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. Representative Elon Omar, uh, this is the uh, female Somali. Uh, she just hates everything that's not Muslim. She's the one that married her brother so her brother can get over into this country. I don't know why she's not been arrested and put away. She's making $174,000 a year as a, as a representative, and she comes out and says that uh, we need to tear down this country. We need to tear it down because it's racist, and we need we we need to rebuild it in the proper manner so that uh, all all people feel safe here. Except she is one of the most corrupt, corrupt, evil Congress people I have ever heard of in my life. And a Republican congressman in Minnesota feels the same way as I do. Ilhan Omar of Minneapolis may be the most corrupt politician in Minnesota history. 
That is why I'm filing a formal request to the Committee on Ethics for the U.S. House of Representatives today to ask for an investigation. Representative Omar has already been forced in 2017 and 2018 to pay thousands of dollars in campaign finance violations. Representative Omar has already been forced to pay back thousands of dollars she diverted from her campaign donations to pay for personal legal and accounting expenses, as well as personal travel and lodging expenses to events in five other states. Representative Omar has already been forced to pay a civil penalty for diverting campaign funds to pay for political travels outside Minnesota. This is a record upon which a House Ethics Committee should begin its investigation. Oh, and for those of you local people up in northern Idaho, Panhandle Health Department comes out and says uh, they recommend that all people in northern Idaho wear masks to stop the spread of this evil disease. Now, let's see. North Idaho, we have one death, and the guy had four or five other diseases, and we have five people who have been in a hospital for COVID-19. This is since December. One death, five hospitals. And they come out and say, we think everybody should wear a mask. How many times do they have to be told to go to hell before they get the idea? And you know I'm a member of SEIU. I'm a member of the U.S. Uh, Socialist Party, the Communist Party, uh, many unions. I, I, I've got my finger in a whole bunch of different disgusting pies. And I was just notified by SEIU that on the 20th of July, they want all quote-unquote working men and women and those of your choice gender, and I don't know how they put it because I don't pay attention to that crap, uh, they want them all to go on strike on the 20th, all right? They want everyone to go on strike to teach us white people who don't appreciate Black Lives Matter what's what. So just pay attention to that, okay? Now, up here in northern Idaho, generally and before now, we really didn't have to worry about these semi-humanoid creatures coming up here and causing all kinds of problems. But that's why they are now sending them up here. These are people that are funded by George Soros. They literally are sending them up here to get apartments, to move into houses, and then to start putting out BLM flags and Bernie, <laughs> Bernie Now flags and to open Facebook accounts and pretend that they've lived up here their whole life. I've seen two Facebook accounts so far that people are saying, I've lived up here my whole life. Both of them saying the exact same thing. And both of them saying, we need to fight for equality amongst our POC. Now, that's that's a new term, people of color. And I would much rather use the old term, POS. But they're using POC now, using that word for people of color. And what is, these people aren't black. These people aren't Mexican. They're not Latino. They're not Asian. They're whites. They're communists. And they're setting themselves up here. And they're setting themselves up in Bonner County, and they're setting themselves up in Montana, and they're setting themselves up everywhere in the Northwest where we've never had problems before. And now these people are coming in, and they're going to make damn sure we have problems. And they're doing it because they're allowed to. I don't, you know, I'm sorry. I would much rather... If I see somebody flying a BLM flag, go there, tear it down, and piss on it, 
than just to drive by and go, Jesus, that's awful. That's that's ridiculous. BLM is a communist organization set to destroy all whites worldwide and to take over all countries for communism. So who is going to promote them? Other communists. And we're finding them up here. There are people who have been attacked in some in crowds. There are people who have been yelled and screamed at up here in Coeur d'Alene, Post Falls, not in Hayden or Dalton Gardens or northern areas. But this is getting out of hand. And as long as we keep backing away, keep backing away, they will keep advancing. This is common knowledge. And this is exactly what bullies do, what uh, coyotes do when they're hunting. When their prey backs away, they gain space. They move forward. You'll have to stand your ground. And that's where that term came from. Stand your ground. We're going to have to start standing our ground. And again, I'm not talking about guns. I'm talking about stand your ground. And do what you have to do to keep yourself from being harmed. And realize these people have no respect in any way, shape, or form. They have no consideration for anyone or anything. They have no empathy. I watched I watched a video somebody sent me. Uh, this woman was pushing a baby in a little, you know, bassinet in San Francisco. Somewhere in San Francisco. The streets weren't littered with human crap, so it wasn't downtown. And these two two black guys and three white women came up to her and were demanding that she pay reparations. And she's like, pardon me? What are you talking about? Well, you're white, so you need to give us money. And she just tried to push the, the uh, baby carriage around around him because they sounded insane. And one of the black guys reached into the carriage and reached down to grab the baby. Well, she had a her purse on her, hit him, so right square in the face with it. Apparently she had a brick in there. Knocked him down. No ifs, ands, or buts. And then they all started screaming at her. Attack, assault, assault, police. Well, the police did come and they took her. All they did was take her away from there to protect her from them. They didn't say anything to these lowlifes. I guarantee she's going to get in trouble for that. There are people being being uh, threatened all, all over the United States for defending themselves against this, this mob psychosis. Up here, we don't just pull a gun out and say, go away, leave me alone, don't hurt us. If anybody draws a weapon up here, we're trained. People are trained in North Idaho. Even the even the the uh, Californians that come up here, most of them are trained. If you pull a gun, you're going to need to use it. And these people are threatening people up here. They're, someone's going to get killed, and it's not going to be too long from now. I'm worried about this strike that's going to be happening on the 20th, because you know what that means. When the communists go on strike, that means they're going to break things. They're going to break stuff. Your stuff. Because to a socialist, nobody really owns anything. And to a criminal, nobody really owns anything. That's why they can take it and not feel remorse. So this strike could be something nasty. It could be something nothing. It could be a nothing burger. And here's the bad thing. (laughs) This is the bad thing. A lot of this, when you first hear about it, you think it's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. 
this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen. This is bad. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Woe is me. Woe is the country. What I've found, and this is strange that I'm saying this to you right now, but what I have found is that most threats to you are about 10% reality, the rest emotional. You hear me talking about this stuff and warning about this stuff. A lot of it isn't going to come true. It could be nothing. This strike could be just a bunch of people going out in front and then the boss coming out or the or the 18-year-old manager coming out front going, what are you guys doing out here? Oh, we're on strike for BLM. Well, if you don't get your butt back in there and get finished flopping those burgers, you're going to be fired. So, ah, shucks. And in they go. That could be it. Some years back, PETA come up here. This was funny. PETA comes up here and they blocked Colonel Sanders. Kentucky Fried Chicken. They blocked it so nobody could pull in or pull out. Oh, I'm driving a one-ton truck. So I pull up and I asked asked this one pimply female. She weighed about 300 pounds, had green hair, and was carrying some sign that I couldn't understand it because it was was written really illiterate. And I said, what's going on? Oh, well, we're protesting because uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, murders chickens. Murders chickens? What do you mean murders chickens? Don't they raise them to kill so we can eat them? Well, that's murder. And she went on for two or three minutes and I said, geez, that's awful. Let me park my truck. So she moved out of the way and I went in, went through the drive up and I told the guy there, I said, I want to spend $100 on on food. And he goes, okay, what do you want? So we figured it out. It took me about 10 minutes to figure it out. Then he's, after, a while, after a while, he starts giving me these buckets and these bags, and I'm putting them in the truck, and, I, and he, they're all watching me. They're all watching me. <laughs> so when I got everything in the truck and it filled up the whole back seat, I took a drumstick, and I pulled out. And as I'm pulling out, I'm biting into it, waving at him. And I, as I get past this girl, I say, here, you want some? And I swear she almost reached for it. By the way, SEIU came out the other day and said, all right, we're all in for Joe Biden because he's going to change the world. We can't afford another four years of this. We need a change. Every single frontline worker should have the personal protective equipment that they need to be safe. Lack of planning and willful neglect has left most of the healthcare workers at a risk of contracting the virus. If Donald Trump prevails in court, Insurers would be allowed, once again, to strip away coverage, jack up premiums, simply because of the battle they survived fighting coronavirus. No matter what my gender is, what my job is, what my race is, everyone deserves a good quality of life. Everyone in this room should have a minimum, starting at $15 an hour wage across the board. We need a union to fight for better wages. We need a union to fight for better benefits. Only one way you can fight back power is with more power, and that's union power. Unionize McDonald's. Unions have to be on the forefront of bringing people together and changing our country. Unions are social justice organizations. Racial justice is a situation that we've been dealing with all our lives. We can't leave this moment thinking that we can once again turn away and do nothing. The moment has come for our nation to deal with systemic racism. I'm coming to this country in 1993 
when my husband passed away. I have four children. I have to make a hard decision for better life for my kids. My life is in the finger for this administration. On day one, I'm going to send the legislative immigration reform bill to Congress to provide a roadmap to citizenship for 11 million undocumented immigrants. Working people and our families need to be engaged in the civic engagement process. Something is going to happen. There's going to be a change, a really good change. This can be Joe Biden. He is for equality, fair house, affordable health care. He is for the people. To me, it's a clear choice to vote for Biden. He's going to be the president. I support Joe Biden. I'm going to use that same energy to get Joe Biden in for president. We got to win. I've been hearing for the past, what, 20 years, how these these uh, politicians want to change uh, the world or change the United States or redesign the United States or any number of, of words or whatever buzzwords they want to use. And I would, I've always thought to myself, now, if, what is it you want to change? You want to change it from capitalism to communism? Because that's apparent. Uh, what, do you, what is it you want to change? You want to change people who are working to people who are not working? Uh, do you want to change? Well, obviously, you want to change all men into women. Uh, or you want to change women into uh, something else that's not normal? Who knows what the hell you're talking about when you got 20, 147 different genders, uh, including those that um, consider themselves bunnies? This is strange stuff. So what are you trying to change? And then it got to where they kept telling us how they wanted to change things, but nobody would ever answer the question of what, what is it exactly? Never mind platitudes and the, and the weird buzzwords. What exactly do you want to remove and what exactly do you want to put in its place? And now all we're getting is hate. Well, they tried the, oh, you're just too intolerant routine. And when people realize they're full of crap and they're the intolerant ones, well, they just became so angry and hateful that you, you can't even communicate to them. And it's almost as if, you, you, if you haven't watched the movie yet, Idiocracy. You really need to see the movie Idiocracy because it takes stupid and moronics and it brings them to a whole new level hundreds of years in the future. It's comedy. It really is. It's, it's, it's funny. Yeah, and you really need to watch the movie Idiocracy. But what happens now is that everyone who claims that they want to change the United States are angry communists. What do angry communists do? Well, they destroy capitalism right off the bat. Because then everybody's equal. This is an insane thing, and this country was never designed to last this long. Thomas Jefferson even thought that. If he was alive today, he would look around and go, what the hell, how are you guys still here? So I would rather that this country go out in a bang than go out into a, a, a mass of whining snowflakes. Tucker has something to say on this whole subject. One of the great unsolved mysteries of the past four years is why certain types of people with certain types of jobs hate Donald Trump so much, really hate him, obsess over him, think about him when they wake up in the morning, would hurt him if they could. Why the fixation? It has nothing to do with the reasons that normal people sometimes get annoyed with Trump, the bragging, the short attention span, the rants on Twitter. 
None of that justifies hatred or obsession. Plenty of politicians have unappealing personal qualities. Teddy Kennedy killed a woman, and he's still a hero to the Democratic Party. No, the reason the ruling class despises Donald Trump is because they can't control him. Trump throws the bit. He refuses to mouth their lyrics. He will not obey. At any moment, Donald Trump is liable to come out with something that you're absolutely not allowed to say. Borders make countries, for example. China is our enemy. Whoopi Goldberg isn't that funny. All of it undeniably true, and that's the point and the problem. Trump's words hang in the air for all to see and to assess, and they are therefore a massive threat to people whose livelihoods depend upon fraud and lying. Trump is the most dangerous to his enemies when he tells the truth. In fact, there are his enemies precisely because sometimes he does tell the truth, and he did it the other day. On Friday, the president gave a speech at Mount Rushmore. He spoke eloquently about the BLM riots and what they mean for the country. Here's part of it. Make no mistake, this left-wing cultural revolution is designed to overthrow the American Revolution. In so doing, they would destroy the very civilization that rescued billions from poverty, disease, violence, and hunger, and that lifted humanity to new heights of achievement, discovery, and progress. To make this possible, they are determined to tear down every statue, symbol, and memory of our national heritage. Our national heritage It's something we can be proud of. This country defeated both fascism and communism. Our revolution inspired democratic revolutions around the world, from South America to India. Even today, pro-freedom demonstrators in Hong Kong, where the stakes are very high, wave the American flag to express their hope and their defiance. Our economy and our schools created the world's first and the greatest educated middle class. Our engineers and our scientists invented the airplane and the transistor and virtually everything else in modern life. They also transformed agriculture. They ended famine on most of the globe. Our richest citizens became famous not for the palaces they built to themselves, but for the philanthropy they gave to others. Andrew Carnegie built countless libraries for the poor. John D. Rockefeller eradicated hookworm in the South. These are not the deeds of an evil country. They are the accomplishments of a great country. Yet, as the president pointed out, American school children learn virtually none of this. Instead, our curricula have become a toxic mix of lies and omission, all of it designed to poison our children against the country that formed them. Against every law of society and nature, our children are taught in school to hate their own country and to believe that the men and women who built it were not heroes, but that were villains. The radical view of American history is a web of lies. All perspective is removed. Every virtue is obscured. Every motive is twisted. Every fact is distorted. And every flaw is magnified until the history is purged and the record is disfigured beyond all recognition. Every word of that is true. If you have kids in school, you know it may even be understatement. What is happening in our classrooms right now in 2020 is a crime. It is long past time that a sitting president said so. And then Trump kept going. Toward the end of his speech, he defended the core promise of America, the principle this country was founded on. It's the only principle that will allow America to survive going forward, a nation where all citizens are equal from birth and as a result enjoy equal rights and equal protection under the law. It's the America our Declaration of Independence describes. We believe in equal opportunity, equal justice, and equal treatment for citizens of every race, background, religion, and creed. Every child of every color, born and unborn, 
is made in the holy image of God. We want free and open debate, not speech codes and cancel culture. We embrace tolerance, not prejudice. We support the courageous men and women of law enforcement. We will never abolish our police or our great Second Amendment, which gives us the right to keep and bear arms. We believe that our children should be taught to love their country, honor their history, and respect our great American flag. We stand tall, we stand proud, and we only kneel to Almighty God. This is who we are. This is what we believe. And these are the values that will guide us as we strive to build an even better and greater future. We almost never play sound bites that are that long. Politicians rarely give speeches worthy of it. Most of what they say is garbage, and we don't want to repeat it. But Friday's address at Mount Rushmore was probably the best, the single best speech Donald Trump has ever given. It was a roadmap for his reelection message. But more than that, it was a roadmap for the country itself. Equality, decency, pride in our nation. Those were the themes. Naturally, the liars on television deeply hated every word of it. There's really a myth of America that this idea that America treated people well, that they treated men and women equally, that that we founded this country just by our own wits, that that is actually a lie. Much of American political propaganda over the course of our history has tried to completely erase, ignore, lie about the the ugly parts of our history. Mount Rushmore isn't exactly the innocent ode to our founding fathers as described in our textbooks. And it's high time we disrupt that false narrative that far too many people believe. Here we are, celebrating the birth of a nation, independence for white men, at a site described by one Native American activist as, quote, a symbol of white supremacy. If you spent the rest of your life trying to locate, to identify the worst people in this country of 330 million, you couldn't get a pure distillation than what you just saw. These people are liars. They're the same people who spent the last month telling you that the riots you saw live on television were actually peaceful protests against racism. That was a lie. They knew it was a lie when they said it, but they said it anyway in order to undermine a country that they hate. Yes, hate. America deserves to be in flames. That is their view. And this weekend, they said it essentially out loud. Mount Rushmore, they told us, must go. It is illegitimate, just like the nation it celebrates. President Trump will be at uh, Mount Rushmore, where he'll be standing in front of a monument of two slave owners and on land wrestled away from Native Americans. With these founding fathers, with these monuments that we don't want to forget, what do we do with them? Maybe they don't stand in the town square, But should they stand anywhere? Should we demolish them? It's been polluted. It's been desecrated by putting these slave-owning, racist, horrible, horrible white men in 60-foot statues on this wall. When you look at this place, this land, the Black Hills, the history is a dark one. But it's not just the land that has been stolen in a place like Mount Mount Rushmore in the Black Hills. It's the the theft of history, the theft of the narrative. It's worth reminding folks that the man who carved the monument behind me had deep ties to the KKK. The mother of all photo ops, Mount Rushmore. And we know why this president just can't resist going there. So Mount Rushmore is now a symbol of evil, just like your nation. Where's this all going? As writer Matt Taibbi put it, quote, CNN even put independence in quotes when describing the holiday. 
This will end with Wolf Blitzer dressed in a dashiki pulling the switch to dynamite the Statue of Liberty, end quote. Pretty funny, but suddenly it's getting easier to imagine that happening. On the morning of July 4th, the Washington Post summarized the president's speech, the one clips of which we just played, this way, quote, President Trump's unyielding push to preserve Confederate symbols and the legacy of white domination crystallized by his harsh denunciation of the racial justice movement Friday night at Mount Rushmore has unnerved Republicans who have long enabled him. That was not an opinion piece, by the way, on the op-ed page. It was a news story written by two Washington Post reporters. They described the president's defense of equality under the law as, quote, Trump's push to amplify racism, Jeff Bezos's newspaper. Local politicians joined the chorus. The mayor of Nashville canceled the city's 4th of July fireworks, but allowed BLM protests to continue unimpeded. In Richmond, city officials ordered a construction site to remove an American flag. It was too provocative, they said. Meanwhile, the statue of mass murderer Vladimir Lenin stands totally unmolested in the city of Seattle tonight. Officials there see nothing provocative about it. So where's Joe Biden on all of this as the revolution continues apace? Biden is supposed to be a moderate, remember? That was his chief appeal. But there was nothing moderate about Biden's 4th of July statement. Instead, it was a full-throated attack on the United States. Our country was founded on an idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. We've never lived up to it. Jefferson himself didn't. He held slaves. Women were excluded. American history is no fairy tale. It's been a constant push and pull between the two parts of our character. The idea that all men and women, all people are created equal, and the racism that has torn us apart. We have a chance to rip the roots of systemic racism out of this country. That's your 4th of July message? Systemic racism? Something you can't even define that has no real definition? Really? Wagging your finger in the face of the nation that promoted someone as mediocre as you to the position you currently hold? This is the man who could soon be our figurehead. But how about the actual presidential candidate, whoever Biden picks as his VP running mate? Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois is a top contender for the job. You're not supposed to criticize Tammy Duckworth in any way because she once served in the military. Most people just ignore her. But when Duckworth does speak in public, you're reminded what a deeply silly and unimpressive person she is. Here's Tammy Duckworth from over the weekend telling us it's time to get rid of George Washington. I know that you support changing the name of military bases named after Confederate leaders, but there are leaders like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson who were slave owners, and some people are demanding that their monuments come down too. So in your view, where does it end? Should statues, for example, of George Washington come down? Well, let me just say that we should start off by having a national dialogue on it um, at some point. A national dialogue. Please, they're not looking for any kind of colloquy. What they want is a soliloquy. We speak, you shut up and listen. So what to make of all of this? Well, it's long been considered out of bounds to question a person's patriotism. It's a very strong charge, and we try not ever to make it. But in the face of all of this, the conclusion can't be avoided. These people actually hate America. There's no longer a question about that. And yet, paradoxically, at the same time, they desperately want to control America more than anything. And that leads to the most basic of all questions. Can you really lead a country that you hate? Ask yourself, what kind of parent would you be if you hated your children? What kind of officer would you make if you didn't care about your troops? It would be awful. The results would be ugly. It would not work. Loving the people you lead, caring deeply about them, is the most basic prerequisite of leadership. The leaders of today's Democratic Party do not. They despise this country. They have said so. They continue to. That is shocking, but it is also disqualifying. 
We cannot let them run this nation because they hate it. Imagine what they would do to it. See, all of these people complaining about how bad whites are and how bad the United States is and, and this country, they're Marxists. They're socialists. It's the same thing. All Marxism or socialism is, is the shortest point between capitalism and communism. So all of these people, for want of a better definition, are communists. You want to know what happens when a communist gains power in a country? Just listen to this. Hands tied behind the back, an expertly aimed shot in the neck, and the fall into a huge mass grave. They, they were killed by the Allies. The Soviet Union was killing people in this way for many years, both before and after it joined the Allies. These victims had no memorials. They were buried in anonymous mass graves. The murderer's power that killed them and the powers that collaborated with the murderer were never actually prepared to talk about them. The memory of millions of innocent victims was erased from history. Youth throughout the world likes to make jokes using popular symbols of the past. Communism, after all, was about equality and harmony. There was nothing wrong with the idea itself. Well, actually, there was. Initially, when communists come to power, and that doesn't matter where, let it be in Russia, in Poland, in, in Cuba, in Nicaragua, it doesn't matter, in China. Initially, they destroy about 10% of the population, and that's very specific. This is used not just to kill enemies, they're not enemies, it's to restructure the fabric of society. It's a social engineering. Top intellectuals, best workers, best uh, engineers, they will kill them all. And then they will try to restructure the new society. Hang at least 100 kulaks, execute the hostages, do it in such a way that people for hundreds of miles around will see and tremble. In 1917, the communists seized power. Lenin now had a chance to apply Marxism to real life. Those who resisted were shot. There were terrible massacres against resisting peasants. And again, nobody knows uh, exactly how many people died, but we're talking about 10 million or more. Ukrainians were being exterminated in front of the whole world, but the world did nothing to help them. Mankind has never seen a more efficient extermination program than the one in Ukraine during the winter of 1932 and 33. I don't think many people know that um, only socialists publicly advocated genocide in the 19th, 20th centuries. I think that's, that's a very little known fact and, and it seems shocking. First appeared in, in January 1849 in, in Marx's journal uh, Neue Rheinische Zeitung. Engels wrote of the, uh, how the class war in Marxian terms means that when socialist, socialist revolution happens, the class war happens, uh, there will be primitive societies in Europe uh, two stages behind because they're not even capitalist yet. And he had in mind the Basques and the Bretons and the Scottish Highlanders and the Serbs and uh, uh, he calls them racial trash. Racial trash, and they will have to be destroyed because being two stages behind in the historical struggle, it will be impossible to bring them up to the point of being revolutionary. 
he spoke about the vulgarity and the dirtiness of, of Slavic people, you see. He thinks, for instance, that Poland had no reason to, to exist. The classes and the races, too weak to master the new conditions of life, must give way. They must perish in the revolutionary holocaust. Karl Marx. Marx began it. He was the ancestor of, of a modern political genocide. And I don't know that any European thinker of the modern period before Marx and Engels ever publicly advocated racial extermination. I can't find anything earlier, so I presume it starts with them. The teachings of Marx and Engels were carefully studied by Lenin, the man who established the first Marxist country on earth. You must all know half a dozen people at least who are no use in this world, who are more trouble than they are worth. Just put him there and say, sir or madam, now will you be kind enough to justify your existence? If you can't justify your existence, if you're not pulling your weight in the social vote, if you're not producing as much as you consume, or perhaps a little more, then clearly uh, we cannot use the big organization of our society uh, for the purpose of keeping you alive, because your life does not benefit us, and it can't be of very much use to yourself. Bernard believed in the in uh, mass killing by category, not usually by racial category, but by category, you know, the idle, the unfit. Killing off the parasites within society was what Marxian socialism was about. It demanded in a, in a London newspaper that the scientists should devise a humane gas. I appeal to the chemists to discover a humane gas that will kill instantly and painlessly. Deadly by all means, but humane, not cruel. Stalin uh, authorized in the middle of the 30s, uh, because there was this problem of base prisoner, he authorized the uh, children to be shot from the age of 12. People were being shot day and night throughout the biggest country in the world. And Stalin even got to the point of killing people by random, by quarters. Let's say 100,000 in the Tambov district, okay. Whoever they grabbed and shot will be fulfilling quota. They wouldn't care about names. Then after the quotas were fulfilled, the local authorities would report to Stalin, to Central Committee, and ask uh, for additional quotas. An additional quota will be given, and after fulfilling, they would again ask for additional quota. And so it will go in circles. It was like a like, like mincemeat machine, you know, it was just killing and killing and killing. Their idea was to destroy old order in Europe. Is there anybody out there left that still doesn't believe that these Marxists that are controlling the United States right now, that they won't do the same when they gain power? Now we're going to get into a subject that I have to get into because every single day somebody walks in the store here in Hayden, Idaho and says, hey, uh, I want to start stocking up on food. I don't know how to do it. What do I do? Where do I go? And I am getting tired of having, talking to each person because that's what we're here for is to help people. But I have to, each person I spend about an hour with telling them what has to be done. So I'm going to teach you now. And I've, those of you who have listened to me know all, all of this stuff anyway. But there are people out there now that need to know this and they need to know this stuff as soon as possible. First thing I'm going to do, if you go to armchairsurvivalist.com on the left-hand uh, side of any of the pages, you're going to see Food Storage 101. Food for thought and your survival. I'm going to read this to you. 
Level one, you shop using your local food ads for the food you normally eat. It's a simple point of logic and economics to stock up on stuff that you eat anyway. Here in North Idaho, now this was written 10 years ago, okay? Here in North Idaho, every Wednesday and Sunday, the food ads come out. Just by watching these ads, I can buy bread at 25 cents to a dollar a loaf. Now, 25 cents, that was 10 years ago. Right now, you can find good good grained bread, 99 cents to a dollar a loaf. Milk, $1.99 a gallon. Beef, well, here I wrote from $1.50 a pound, but we're probably about $1.99 a pound on sale. Canned chili, various canned fruits, canned vegetables. Look at the food ads. Every Wednesday, I buy the, lo- I buy the local socialist rag, Coeur d'Alene Press, and I look at the food ads. I find stuff all the time. Of course, my wife drew the line when I bought 100 jars of peanut butter, so that's she thinks that's too much. Anyway, so that's the easy part of survival food. This is the stuff you eat normally. Now, this is the stuff you, you're going to cycle through because, again, you eat it normally. Instead of going to the store and buying two cans of tuna, buy 10. Or whatever they limit you to. And they're limiting you now, believe me. And all of this stuff, they're limiting you. We're, so we're talking canned foods here. We're talking canned foods. We're talking packaged foods. We're talking short, shelf-stable foods. Never buy dented cans. The inside of a can is coated in uh, either an enamel or some kind of coating to protect the food from activating and creating botulism by uh, activating with the tin that a can's made out of. So every can is coated with something on the inside. The problem is when a can gets dented, sometimes that coating will be cracked and the food will start will activate and it'll start becoming uh, tainted. All right. Now a can is good. People say, how long do cans last? Well, what about the expiration date? What about the best if bought by date? That's fraud, 100%. What about the best if used by? That's fraud also. Those two, those are just marketing ploys. That's all they are. So best if bought by, best if used by is fraud. The only thing you need to pay some attention to is expiration date. That does not mean it expires, by the way. That just means that's what the science, that scientists that worked for that canning company evaluated the nutritional value would start dropping on that can in two years. That's what an expiration date is. I've eaten canned beans that were 40 years old. So ignore all of that stuff. You know a can is bad when it poops up, like the top or bottom of it expand, or the side starts leaking, because there is a seam on cans on the side. See, a can is made of three pieces. You have the flat, which is bent and curved, and then they seal it. And then you have the top lid and the bottom lid. So if any of those seams are leaking, that can's bad. If it's poofed up like it's uh, inflated, don't even think about it. Don't think, well, I'm starving, so i got to have something to eat. No, that will kill you. That means there's something active internally. Throw it away. Just throw it away. Okay, so... Don't buy dented cans. Now, unless you're going to buy that can and you know it's only been dented for a week and you're going to eat it tonight, that kind of stuff. So, all right, just just so you understand that. Then level two of food for uh, survival is dehydrated and freeze-dried stuff uh, that you can buy that helps stretch out your normal foods. So uh, now you've got 100 cans of chili, beans, rice, tuna, etc. And you figure you might uh, have a one-year supply of food for the family. So now we're going to plan to stretch it out. So you find, and I'll in this in this show, I'm going to tell you exactly where to go. 
you find freeze-dried stuff. Now, freeze-dried weighs one-tenth the weight of a normal uh, of the normal food. Let's say uh, sliced potatoes. You take a number 10 can of, of raw sliced potatoes, just fresh. You know, you grab the potatoes, slice it up, throw it in a number 10 can. That thing's going to weigh out probably around five pounds. But if you dehydrated or freeze-dried that potatoes, it'll weigh a pound, if that. So freeze-dried or dehydrated. Now, the difference between freeze-dried and dehydrated is this. Dehydrated removes about 90% of the moisture from a product. Freeze-dry is going to remove about 97%, 98% of the moisture from a product. Some foods can't be freeze-dried because they they just uh, turn into powder, like uh, raspberries or blackberries, things like that. They have to be dehydrated instead. So you buy you will buy some of these staple foods, dehydrated or dried, like potatoes or peas or corn or carrots, all right? And you add these to the rest of your stuff. Now, there's two rules in food storage. Number one, there's no such thing as too much. And number two, there's no such thing as enough because you have no idea what's happening. And there's a lot of fraudulent advertising on the internet and everywhere else for that matter, you say, one year of supply of food, one year supply of food, only $5,000, and you buy it. Now, when I first started in business selling food, which was 30-something years ago, I worked for Mountain House, and uh, I would sell their one-year supply of food. And I did this for a couple of years, and then and then uh, this guy calls me up, and I remember he bought a year supply of food from me when I first started. And he wanted to tell me how happy he was that he bought that food because he lost his job and his wife broke her back and all they could they couldn't even uh, barely pay their mortgage and they had no money left over for food if he hadn't had the food that he bought for me they would have starved and it only lasted six months i said what that's a year supply he goes yeah i don't know who figured that crap out because it's not true it lasted six months which was fine for us so he was fine with the whole thing but just realize when you see these things, a one-month package, three-month package, six months, one year, five year, don't you believe it. You, life is a participation sport, like I've told you many times. If you want to know how much food you're going to need to store, if that's all you want to store is how much you're going to need for like X amount of time, like a year, you sit down and you look at these packages that people are selling and you go, well, he's got five cases of orange drink and three cases of tomato juice. What the hell do I need all that for? See, you got to be careful of this stuff. Most of the stuff they sell isn't stuff you eat. Now, there's pros and cons about the uh, freeze-dried and dehydrated foods that you can buy. The pros are they have a longer storage life, way long. Mountain House Foods, that you can find them in the packs, uh, foil packs, and those are going to be 50 years easy. And there's other st- food that you can find uh, that you can buy that uh, will store 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You're going to need more you're going to need water it's not like you can just pick it up and eat it you're going to need to rehydrate this stuff they will be more expensive than normal food there's no question about that because you're buying the ease and also the longevity of the food that's what you're paying for and you'll need a lot of storage to stock these things up that's that's the other thing (laughs) so uh just remember when you're talking about dehydrated or freeze-dried usually it comes in pouches or it comes in number 10 cans, which is like a little bit bigger than a coffee can, like a gallon. And you can, now, these are ingredients that I'm talking about. 
all right, like peas, carrots, corns, celery, uh, rice, beans, these kind of things. These are ingredients you use to make up a meal. Now on level three, you can buy long-term storage, easily prepared entrees. There, You just add hot water, like Mountain House. Spaghetti and meatballs. You tear open the top, take out the oxygen absorber, and yes, I have to tell you to do that because humans forget things. They don't, well, that must be good to eat, so I won't take it out because they didn't tell me to. you got to take it out. Then you add a cup or a cup and a half of boiling water, and you stir it well, and then seal the top of that pouch and set it down for 15 minutes. I don't care if it says 7 minutes, 15 minutes. Any of these foods, any of these foods, any pouched foods, any company, I don't care who it is, they will tell you to add boiling water, stir, and let sit for 5 minutes or 7 minutes or 10 minutes. No, 15 minutes. Rule of thumb, 15 minutes. Otherwise, you'll be eating hot, wet, crunchy stuff. So these are the, the and, and the, um, the pouches you want to store, in fact, all your food, everything you're going to store, you want to make sure the little nibbly critters can't get into them. I stored my Mountain House pouches either in the case that I bought them in or I got Rubbermaid tubs and I put a little quarter inch foam seal all the way around the, the top of the Rubbermaid tub and I put my pouches in there very carefully because if they tear, if you poke a hole in it, they're, they're mylar bags so they can literally uh, break if you bend them or crush them too often. So I, I want to make sure that they're going to be safe for a long time. I've eaten Mountain House pouches that I bought 25 years ago, and you cannot tell the difference. In fact, uh, some years ago, it was about uh, about five years ago, Mountain House contacted me because I'm I was one of their oldest distributors, and they uh, they said, "Do you have any old original Mountain House packages?" So I went into my uh, my bunker, and I found about 10 cases of various type spaghetti and meatballs and pork and rice and just different things mountain house from the 70s so i okay i sent them to them they contacted me back and they sent me like 50 cases of mountain house modern mountain house foods and they said we can't believe this we opened up these pouches in 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 a laboratory and they had they were as fresh as the day they were sealed in 1975 that's the quality of mountain house there are other companies out there but if you want the Cadillac, that's it. That's the only thing you can get. So this is; these are easily prepared. Let's say you, your family's hungry. You grab a few of these. You follow the instructions, and you dole them out in 15 minutes, and you guys can eat. There's no uh, thinking about it. You don't have to mix things and, and add ingredients and all of this stuff. It's easy. They're extremely lightweight, extremely. I can carry a week's worth of, of uh, Mountain House foods or pouched foods in a backpack. So it, that's that's easy to do. The bad thing is you're going to have to have water. So remember that because they have to be rehydrated and cooked. And they're mo- they're very expensive. Like a meal for two people with the Mountain House beef stew is probably 7 or $8. Now, if you're going to Denny's, that's not much. But this is not, you know, I'm, I wouldn't want to live on this stuff. <laughs> it tastes pretty good as long as you don't have to live on it all the time. And then you have what's called the grab-and-go. The wolf's at the door. The house is on fire. you got to get the hell out. And you grab whatever you can. MREs, meals ready to eat, are a good thing to have. You can find those. Those of you in the military, you know what those are. You can find them on eBay. You can find them all over the place. Those are good. Uh, there are a lot of food bars that are out there that, that uh, store for a long period of time. 
And there's there's tricks to all of this. If you go to my April 12th show, you'll be taught some of these tricks. We're talking about vacuum packing at that point. So there's various types of food that you can buy that you get uh, you can store and in an emergency you can use them just common sense number one you buy the canned stuff that you buy anyway and you you know you buy it around uh, town and look for the food ads and buy it and then you buy stuff that you can repackage you buy stuff that you just add water to so I just wanted to get you grooved in just a hair on the whole concept of food storage or emergency food. All right, so much for that. Now, there's different types of food packaging. There's what's called wet pack, and that would be like um, meat, fresh meat, right? So they got uh, chicken quarters, and they put them on a styrofoam thing, and they wrap it in plastic and stick it out in the counter for you guys to buy. That's called a wet pack because it's wet. Then there's a dry pack. A dry pack would be like... uh, a mac and cheese box. See, mac and cheese, uh, rice-a-roni, oatmeal boxes, all of these things, they're not made for long-term storage because the packaging is air permeable. Air can get in there. So if you want it for long-term storage, you'll have to repackage it one way or another so that you get all the oxygen out. What are the two things that kills food? Is oxygen and humidity. Now, some foods are destroyed by heat, high heat as well. But the, most of the time, it's going to be oxygen and humidity. Then you got the frozen food. Then you got uh, plastic bagged food. Then you have the vacuum packed food. You got food that's in a mylar bag, like potato chips. Then you have jar. Then you have bulk, loose. Like you can go into Winco here in, uh, in Coeur d'Alene, and they have 50 gallon drums of pinot beans. And you just scoop out what you want. Now, I walked downstairs this morning into my pantry so I can give you an idea of the kinds of stuff you should be storing. Beans. Now, we're talking canned foods, all right? This is canned. Everything here is canned. Everything. So, we got beans. I don't Butter beans, black beans, pinto beans, you know, on and on and on and on. Pork and beans. Chili. And for some reason, I've got about 100 cans of habanero hot sauce chili and about 20 cans of normal chili. Hmm. Canned hams. Now, Holiday and a bunch of other companies made these little, they're, they're about the size of a softball, canned hams. Those things will store 100 years. I don't know about the large canned hams, but I know the small ones do. So canned hams, SpaghettiOs. I don't know if they're still in business or not, but I got about 50 cans of it. What a SpaghettiOs are is a meal in a can. There are other meals in the cans you can buy. I've seen uh, SpaghettiOs with hot dogs. Uh, spam, of course. Tuna. Now, tuna, you got to store in water because if you get the stuff that's in oil, the oil will go rancid after a few years. So, tuna in water. Chicken. There's a lot of canned uh, meats out there. Costco sells a bunch of canned meats, and and, uh, I sold for a short period uh, canned meats also. Chicken, pork, beef, turkey, stew in a can, and then peanut butter, of course, jelly, jam. I have never seen properly sealed jelly or jam go bad in my life. Potatoes. There's canned potatoes and powdered or flaked potatoes. In other words, just, you know, you add hot water and there you go. You got got, uh, mashed potatoes. Okay. That's one shelf. And then canned soup. I don't care what you like. 
buy everything you can get your hands on. And that's what I do. Especially get the soup that is very hearty, that has meats in it. You want a lot of protein. Powdered soup mixes. There's mixes out there. Uh, you just add hot water to and boy, you got a soup of some kind. Stew mix, same thing. Seasoning. Don't short yourself on seasoning. Uh, there's powder seasoning. There's liquid seasoning. I was at a yard sale last weekend and I got 12 bottles of liquid smoke for a dollar. Now, those of you who don't know what liquid smoke is, it's liquid smoke. And you use it, you add it to a seasoning or a marinade and put it on meats. What you want is the liquid smoke. When you look at the ingredients, it'll say condensed hickory smoke and distilled water. Zip. That's it. Anything other than those two ingredients, I don't care how they word them. They might word them a little bit different. Don't waste your money. You could take the worst cut of beef and you can marinate it overnight. Let's say you got, uh, oh, five pounds of of, uh, some beef steak that is tough as shoe leather. Well, you marinate it overnight in about a half a cup of red wine, a couple tablespoons of soy sauce, all the seasonings you want, a tablespoon of liquid smoke, shake it up good, put it in a baggie, keep it in your refrigerator, and then take it and cook it the next day. You won't recognize it. It'll be astounding. The flavor is astounding. Well, let's see. So I've got the sauces. I go. Oh, I got. There's more than that. There's all the different types of seasonings. There's there's steak seasoning. There's Montreal chicken seasoning. Then of course there's salt and pepper. Now that's important. Salt. I would keep about 20 pounds of salt iodized salt don't buy the crap at costco they they have this thing they call table salt which means it's not iodized you want iodized salt and pepper meat tenderizer any kind you can find uh, get it oh in that marinade by the way you also need to add about half a cup of orange juice or pineapple juice the enzymes in the citric fruit will will help soften the meat uh, salad dressings. See, there are times when you're going to eat something that's not going to have real good flavor to it. That's what the seasoning is. You could eat dog poop if you had the right seasoning. And then, uh, so so also you have steak and meat sauces, different ones, steak sauce. And I'm still trying to find A1 Bold. I can't find it in any store. It's A1, which is a, a vinegar raisin sauce, which I hate. My son loves it. But when they add Tabasco to it, it's A1 Bold. Barbecue sauces. I've got about 50 barbecue sauces down, downstairs. They go on sale. I've got them at 28 cents, 58 cents for a little bottle of barbecue sauce. Get all the different ones. Salsa. Again, what you're trying to do is make food palatable. Then different tomatoes. You want diced tomatoes. You want whole tomatoes. And cans, of course. We're talking cans. Sliced tomatoes, tomato paste, toma- you know, all of this stuff. Now, again, what I told you about cans. Cans are bad when they poof up, they expand, or they start leaking in one of the seal joints. Tomatoes are very famous for leaking. Uh, you have to watch and monitor or cycle your stores because all of a sudden you're going to find a bunch of crap leaking out of your shelf. And again, tomatoes are famous for that because they're high in acid. That's why you use ketchup to clean the copper bottom of uh, Riverware. And then pasta sauce. Pasta sauce is fairly important because you can take any pasta and give it some flavor. You can take anything and give it some flavor. 
with pasta sauce. Then another good thing to have is hamburger or chicken or tuna helper. This is basically a whole bunch of seasonings that you boil and noodles that you boil up and then you add beef or chicken or tuna to it. See, this is thinking ahead. Now, in the area of canned food, again, we're, we're going on now with the veggies. Green beans, of course, uh, hominy, corn, peas, mixed vegetables, olives, honey. Uh, you name it, you can store it in cans. And I and we store honey. We go to the reservation and we buy, I'll buy 100 pounds of honey and I'll, and I'll uh, repack it into uh, quart jars. When I was doing honey, by the way, you guys will love this. So I'm doing a research on how to store honey. And I'm going to all these websites and I'm thinking, there's something wrong. These guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. All they tell me to do is put it in, a, put it in something. <laughs> and then I read an article where they had unearthed this mummy who'd been buried for 4,000 years and he had five gallons of honey in a pot right next to him. And that was sealed. And they heated this pot up and the honey got back into liquid state, and it was a 4,000 years old honey in perfect condition. So also pancake syrup. Now, I don't, I've don't. i only done this once, but you know you can cook up uh, hot dogs and put some pancake syrup on it. We, we uh, took an egg and milk and fried a hot dog bun, kind of like French toast, and put some pancake syrup on it. You can, you'd be inventive with this stuff. And you want to store also canned fruits, canned pineapples. It can be used. Pineapple is a great enzyme used to help digest food and to soften meats. Applesauce, mixed fruit, peaches, pears, etc., etc. Also, storing various pastas. You got the elbow, the wide, the spaghetti. You got all these different types of pastas. You can store pastas. Now, you'll have to do it. Because most pasta is stored in either a, a air permeable plastic bag or cardboard box. So you'll have to uh, go back to the April 12th show and uh, see how to store different type of pastas. Wheat, if you want wheat, you get the, you store the wheat berries, the grain, not the flour. Flour doesn't store. And a grinder. And also oats, coffee, tea, ketchup. Ketchup, again, we're back to, that's how you clean the copper bottoms of the of the pots. So you have all of these things that you, you can store that are canned. And then you, you have to monitor this stuff. You can't just shove it somewhere and say, well, I got my food. And another point here, I have talked to many of you who store your stuff in a garage or some shed in the backyard. No, you're not storing food. You're cooking it. Your food's got to be stored 60 to 70 degrees max, and that's it. Any higher than that, you're destroying it. If you store, and I used to have a graph for this, if you store your food frozen, it'll last 20 years. Now, let's let's do it this way. Let's let's say I have rice Take that box of rice stick it in the garage. It's a year, maybe a year. If I take it, stick it downstairs where it's 60 degrees, five years. If I take it and I empty it into a pouch and I vacuum pack it and put it downstairs, 10 years. And if I take that vacuum pack pouch of ricerone and throw it in a freezer, indefinite. You see? So the temperature is very vital in storing food and water for that matter. Now, now there's a lot of food, and I mentioned pouched foods. There's a lot of companies out there that sell various types of foods, including Mountain House. Now, Mountain House foods are all freeze-dried. 
Other companies use dehydrated foods. And a lot of companies, they will take, literally they take soup base and add some noodles to it and some other stuff to it and, and call it a vegetable soup and they put it in a pouch. That's fine. Understand what you're getting. Be aware of what you're getting. Always look at the ingredient list on everything you buy. Everything. I don't care what it is. A lot of these pouch food companies, uh, they will use genetically modified stuff in there. They will use half dehydrated, half freeze-dried. There's one company you're going to never use, and that would be WISE, W-I-S-E. They have lost millions of dollars in lawsuits because of fraud. At one point, I was the Western United States distributor for uh, for WISE Foods. And in our store, I had four or five pallets of their buckets of WISE Food on there. And I'd opened one of the buckets and I'd pulled out some of the pouches to put them up there so people could see them. And strangely enough, in about a month, those pouches started to expand like they're inflating like a balloon. And I discovered that... They were. They had such low quality packaging and food going in there that it had started to rot. And as there's biological activity, it, it releases uh, pressure, carbon uh, carbon uh, dioxide. So those pouches were inflating, and which meant they were toxic. And I'd call the company up and say, "Hey, I got these pouches inflating. Oh, don't worry about it. Just throw them away. We'll send you a, a couple buckets." After about a year. And I was doing much more research. I called him up and I said, you guys are selling fraudulent crap and I'm done with you. Because I was opening up some of the the, uh, containers and the pouches had had it uh, uh, inflated. And it turned out Wise did not use oxygen absorbers in their pouches. As the pouches were going through the line to be sealed... They would go through uh, an area that had jets that were aimed down shooting nitrogen into the pouch, which nitrogen is good because it, it'll displace the oxygen. But then the lids weren't, the tops weren't sealed at that point. So the nitrogen got sprayed in and then the pouch kept moving on a, on the production line and then the nitrogen flushed itself out and oxygen went back in and they sealed it. Never buy Wise Foods. If you have Wise Foods, you need to open up the, the uh, tubs, the buckets, and look at them. If they are flat, Probably still good. And Wise also got sued because they advertised their food the last 25 years. Turns out their food is good for about 10 years. So you have to be aware on all of these companies that have pouched foods. Don't listen to the salesman hype. Do your own research on it. You have to be, you have, this is your life and your loved one's lives. So if you get sub-quality food, uh, you could end up killing someone. Now, I'm going to teach you how to seal up five-gallon buckets. This is the big way. This is the way that's been used for 50 years now for rice, for beans, for damn near anything. You have three or five-gallon five buckets, right? These are plastic buckets. Now, you have to use food grade. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. You have to use food grade. I'll tell you what the difference is. You can go to Home Depot and you can, for a buck sometimes, you can buy their orange buckets. The Plastic is the same in both kinds, food grade and commercial. It's the release agent. See, these are molds. And as they go through the production, they get they get uh, plastic squirted into the mold, and then they get cooled a little bit, and then that mold opens up and the bucket falls out. Well, the reason the bucket can fall is because there's a release agent that's sprayed on that mold. 
For food grade buckets, it's a soy oil that's sprayed on there. For commercial buckets, it's silicone, which is toxic. So I, I, I had a friend of mine. He, uh, he he wanted to store a lot of wheat and beans and stuff, so he got 100 buckets at Home Depot, and he poured beans and wheat and all this stuff in it. And then he took it into a shed that he had under the trees and stuck it all in there. And five years later, I come over to visit him. I said, let's check your, your storage. The first bucket I opened was all mold. He couldn't even feed it to the chickens. He opened all 100 of those, and they all gone to mold. And you could smell the stench of the plastic. It was so deeply embedded, you couldn't eat it. He had to dig a hole and dump it all into it. So you have a five-gallon bucket. There are different sizes. We'll just stick with the five-gallon. You have a five-gallon bucket. You also need Mylar bags. I don't like... I don't like, nor do I recommend just dumping your food into a food-grade bucket, even if it is food-grade. Because after 10 years, you're going to get some kind of a taste leach out. I know this for a fact. So I always use... I double-protect them by using Mylar bags. So you get a five-gallon. Now, if you want to store like a whole bag of rice, a whole bag of beans, okay, that's fine. That's when you go buy a five-gallon bucket and a five-gallon Mylar bag. Mylar bags are like three, two to three layers of a type of plastic, and they're air impermeable. Air will not come or go at all. So, okay, so you got your bucket. And you got a 20 or 25 gallon or pound bag of beans. Now remember this. Whatever weight you put in that bucket, you got to be able to pick up. So you make them real heavy, you're, you're, you're going to be in deep <laughs> doo-doo if you have to grab a couple and run. So you got your bucket. You got your five gallon mylar bag and you got 20 pounds of beans. You also need oxygen absorbers. And basically, Oxygen absorbers nothing more than iron oxide. And what it does, it literally eats oxygen once it's activated. So when you buy oxygen absorbers, they'll be sealed in a vacuum pack pouch. Before you open that pouch, you have everything else done. And you have all you have left to do is drop the absorbers in the bags and seal it. Because as soon as you open it up, it's going to be activated and it's going to start eating oxygen. So you're going to have your bucket, your bags, and your oxygen absorbers. You're also going to need an iron, just the iron your clothes with, and a stick about two feet long and, and uh, two inches wide. And this is how I did it. So I take the beans and I pour them. I put the Mylar bag in a five-gallon bucket. I take the beans, pour them into that bag. And I took three or four of these oxygen absorbers. There's different sizes, and I don't remember the size I used. But I took three or four of them, dropped them in there. And then I took the stick and I put it on the top of the five-gallon bucket and I folded the Mylar bag over the top of that stick. Now, that stick is basically the bracing part that I'm going to use to iron on. Ironing is going to seal that plastic, the Mylar. Word of advice, do not use your wife's brand new Teflon-coated iron to do this because sometimes the Mylar will melt a little bit and get stuck on there. So find yourself a $1.99 iron or something at a yard sale, okay? <laughs> Just to be safe. All right, so I fold it over, and I ironed the right-hand side in, and then I ironed the left-hand side in and left a space about an inch wide. 
You follow? I'm leaving a space for this from the seal. And then I took my Food Saver vacuum packer. And there is an adapter to seal jars. It's a long surgical tube with a cap that goes onto a jar lid. And I unplugged that surgical tube from the cap and I stuck it in that one-inch opening. And I turned on the food saver and I held that thing as as tight as I could, that one-inch opening, and I let the food saver vacuum pack that bag. And just when I figured it got as far as it could, I pulled the tube out and hit it with an iron and locked it down. All right, if you envision all of that. So now I've got a bag of, of beans... It's got a whole bunch of oxygen absorbers in there, and I vacuum-packed as best I could. I probably only got about 75% of the oxygen out of there. Now, I don't put the lid on it. I put it aside for about three days. And the reason is, is those oxygen absorbers are going to do their job, and they're going to suck that bag down tighter. And I don't want it to be breaking the seal of the the, uh, five-gallon bucket. So I leave it sit so that it can absorb oxygen inside. And then after three days, I come and pound the lid on. And the last thing you do is put in a black felt pen what's in that bucket and the date. All right? What's in the bucket and the date. That's how you do that. Okay, now there's another method to this. We And I, I've done all of these. So I get a food-grade bucket. I don't want to put all 25 pounds of rice in there. I want it smaller because once you open a bag up, once you open a five-gallon bag up, you got to eat it. That stuff is going to go bad after a while. So I like, I prefer to repackage my food into smaller mylar bags. So I used, you would call them a one-gallon bag, and I took four cups of rice, white rice, put it in that mylar bag. Then I close it up the major. I put a couple oxygen absorbers. Now, this is a one-gallon bag, not a five-gallon. So I have a five-gallon bucket, and I've got a handful of these one-gallon Mylar bags. Put the rice in there. Well, the, the Mylar bags I used one gallon were Ziploc, so I didn't have to iron them. I did in the end, but just uh, follow me here. So I Ziplocked it, zipped it down to about an inch, stuck that vacuum pack uh, tube in there, hit the button, let it suck it down as far as possible, and I pulled the tube out and finished the seal on it. Then I laid that on a kitchen table and I took the iron and sealed the top of it. And that, and I flattened it out and that pouch fit flat inside of the five-gallon bucket. I was able to put five or six of those in there. So I can take the top one out and I can open it and draw from it. And if anything goes wrong or goes bad, I'm not destroying all the rest of the food. So I have some buckets that are total... 20, 25 pounds of rice and beans. And then I have a lot of them that are broken up. The buckets that, uh, and I don't use a five gallon Mylar bag in there. If you're using the one gallon ones or even the smaller ones, you don't need to double bag them. Which brings me to a point. A lot of you have asked about EMP uh, proofing uh, cell phones or blocking cell phone radiation or things like that. Two Mylar bags, any size doesn't matter. You put one inside the other. And if you want to block any reception from your phone, put your phone in there, close it up. 100% blocked. That creates also an EMP-proof Faraday cage. 
You can double, take two five-gallon Mylar bags, stick one inside the other, stick your laptop in there, charging cords, extra batteries, radios, whatever you want, close them up. They're sealed and they're, they're protected. Unless you get a direct lightning strike. So I've given you some ideas, okay? Now, you go back to the April 12th show. If you haven't listened to that, listen to it again. All of this information I'm giving you is going to save your life or somebody you care about. And the idea is to store food as effective as possible. Yeah, it's a little bit of work. In fact, it's a hell of a lot of work. One time we had 25 buckets sitting in the kitchen. And we got everything ready. And, and that's when I, you know, you, like I said, don't open up your oxygen absorbers till you're ready. Till you're ready to put them in there and seal it. But you take... You take the food, whatever you want, you can put in these five-gallon buckets. You can, whatever you want, you can put in a mylar, a mylar bags. And pretty much whatever you want, you can vacuum pack. And I told you this during the show, hell, you can vacuum pack firearms. And they'll be good 100 years from now. But I don't think you're worried about 100 years from now. I think you're worried about a few years from now. Most of you out there are watching right now as there's food shortages. I'm seeing it in Coeur d'Alene, up here up in, in Hayden and Coeur d'Alene, Post Falls. I'm seeing the food shortages. There are things we can't get. Hell, you can't get decent potatoes anymore. All you get are seed potatoes. This is, this is the size of a hardball, a baseball. That's a seed potato. So what I do, I, I buy it. We get them cheap or free sometimes. Sometimes these farmers will pull up into a church parking lot and say, take as much as you want. And they're all tiny ones because they were going to sell them to the farmers to plant. Well, farmers aren't planting anything. This pandemic is destroying the economy and the uh, food train. So what I did was we we uh, skinned them and then I diced them. And no, I didn't use a knife and go chop, chop, chop. No, I have a special thing that chops things down and I diced them. And then I blanched them. And then I dried them, put them on a cookie sheet, froze them overnight, put them in pouches and vacuum packed them. Now I got hash browns that'll, that'll be good 10 years from now because I got a freezer. Now, be careful, and you'll probably have to do some experiment yourself on whether or not something needs to be kept in a refrigerator, kept frozen, or if it can be put in a five-gallon bucket and put aside. And don't be surprised if, you know, you open up your buckets later on, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, even 20 years from now, and some of this stuff is bad. Stuff happens, but you can you can reduce the possibility of this stuff happening by listening to me and paying attention to what's going on. And those of you who want to, you can also go on YouTube and you can say how to seal five-gallon buckets, how to store food in five-gallon buckets. You'll have all kinds of ideas, probably more, I mean, way more than I got. And some of them might even be better than what I got. All I know is what I've done. Now, I want to say this again. Never look a gift horse in the mouth. Now, what am I talking about? Knowledge is power. Knowledge can save your life. Knowledge can change the course of human events. And you will never know where that one particle of knowledge might might come in your life that could change your life. It could be, I could talk for, for 50 hours and not make any sense to you and then say one sentence and your whole life changes. An example is, and I've given this before, I was a master gunsmith for 25 years. I was trained on all kinds of interesting things. And one of the things that we did was was take old 
really grody, blood-soaked, urine-soaked, scratched-up, nick-stained gun stocks and clean them. Clean them up and uh, put them on guns and sell them. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And I could never get the stocks beautiful and shiny. Of course, you know, 50, 100-year-old stocks, I got an excuse, right? They're old. And I could never get them beautiful until one day I was at a giant gun show and my competitor who copied my business and uh, he, he literally, after I was in business for a couple of years, he'd say, well, that's a great idea. I think I can copy him and, and uh, make money. Well, he had beautiful stocks. And I happened to be at a, a table at this gun show that sold mahogany blanks and uh, beautiful wood. I love the smell. You pick up a beautiful chunk of mahogany or maple and you put it to your nose and you inhale oh it's great and he was talking to the guy all i could hear was and then i wet sanded him that's all i heard unbeknownst to me that changed my whole life when i got home my son and i were were working and my brother were working on some beautiful phagin uh, burl walnut stocks for m1 grand and we doing a typical sanding and wiping down and four-aught steel wool and and uh, boiled linseed oil and polishing and everything. And it looked good, but it didn't have the deep shine that I wanted. And then I remembered this guy had said, and then I wet sanded. Now, what's wet sanding? is a sandpaper that you wet and then you sand like cars when you're prepping a car for paint. So I had some 1,600 wet, wet and dry sandpaper. And I said, well, let me try it on this stock. So I wet sanded the stock. And when I put on that boiled linseed oil and, let it, and then polished it off, it was the most beautiful, deep burl I've ever seen in my life. That was the whole secret. So you never know when somebody's going to say something that's going to change your life or improve your life or answer the question that you've always asked. You know, who knows? I hope uh, I, hope I, was, I hope I hope I helped you guys. I hope I gave some information. You really, there's way more to it than this, but this is all I'm going to do for today. Now, remember, if you go to armchairsurvivalist.com on the left hand side, you'll see show notes. You click on that; it'll take you to uh, a complete list of all the shows I've done in the current year. You click on whichever one you're interested in, and it'll take you to an individual page that gives you the links to everything I'm talking about. And what I'm going to put up for the show notes for this show is going to be uh, locations where you guys can buy five-gallon buckets, mylar bags, where you can buy freeze-dried and dehydrated foods, not the pouch stuff, but I'm talking the number 10 cans for long-term storage. So you make sure you go there. You'll have all the links to find everything that you're going to need. you have any more questions, give me a call. Uh, 310-295-9686, 310-295-9686, Survival Enterprises. Go to SE1, Samuel Edwards, the numeral 1.us, SE1.us. See what we got for sale. Buy it. (laughs) And by the way, I don't want to get your hopes up yet, but we're about this close to being able to take credit cards again. Someday I'll tell you the whole story on that stuff, but we're... uh, we're not being able, we don't take credit cards now because uh, we've been banned from taking credit cards because I sell CBD oil in the state of Idaho. Any other state will be fine. But anyway, Survival Enterprises, se1.us. Come on up and uh, visit us. We're in Hayden, Idaho on Government Way, right between Zips and Capones. So uh, I want you to keep your nose in the air and your ear to the ground. 
Oh, and we talked about this last show, situational awareness. I've had two customers come in here. Both of them are men in their 50s that were jumped in parking lots by these psychotic liberal communists. Two fat pink-haired girls and so weird. Uh, he said a weird-looking 15, 16-year-old boy that probably weighed 75 pounds. They, they knocked him to the ground, came up from his back, knocked him to the ground. He got up and cold-cocked the boy, and the girls went off screaming. And the other was a, a woman, uh, and some uh, female got in her face. And none of these are black, mind you. Uh, these are the psychotic commun- communists trained in our school system, females, whites. Got in her face and was threatening her and started pushing her. And, of course, the woman just pulled out her pistol, put it in her face, and said, run away. And she did. But you need to be aware. These criminals, these communists, have been emboldened by all of the communist presidents we've had, and by King George Bush II, and by you name it. So now we have a a whole bunch of communists right now trying to take back over America. But be that as it may, this is my America. And this week, we lost one of them. We lost one. Charlie Daniels died. I loved his music since the first time I ever heard it. And I'm going to play something that really struck home to me. And I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you next time. Have you ever spent the late afternoon watching the purple shadows deepen in the Arizona desert? Or seen a herd of elk plow their way through waist-deep snow on a cold Colorado dawn? Did you ever see the sun go down in Hawaii or see the stormy waves break over the rock-bound coast of Maine? Or have you ever seen an eagle fly up out of the mists of Alaska or a big October moon hanging full over the still Dakota Badlands? Have you ever tasted the gumbo in New Orleans, the barbecue in Carolina, or the chicken wings in Buffalo? Have you ever had Brunswick stew in Macon or cornbread in Birmingham or brisket slow-cooked over hill country mesquite wood? Did you ever drink the water from a gurgling branch in Utah or stand on the mountain above El Paso del Norte and see the lights twinkling clear over in New Mexico? Did you ever jingle horses in the pre-dawn stillness of a perfect Texas day and watch their shod hooves kicking up sparks on the volcanic rock? Or tended a trot line on a foggy Carolina morning or heard the distant song of a lovesick whippoorwill in a pristine Tennessee late night? Have you seen the faces on Mount Rushmore or stood at the Vietnam Monument? Have you ever crossed the mighty Mississippi or been to the daddy of them all in Cheyenne, Wyoming? Or seen the mighty balls run out on the football field on a chilly autumn afternoon? Did you ever see the Chicago skyline from Lakeshore Drive at night? Or the New England foliage in the fall? Or the summer beauty of the Shenandoah Valley? Or Indiana covered with new snow? Did you ever see a herd of wild horses running free across the empty spaces of Nevada? Caught a walleye pike out of a cold Wisconsin stream or marveled at the tall ships docked in the harbor at Baltimore. Did you ever see the early morning dew sparkling on the bluegrass or the wind stir the wheat fields on a hot Kansas afternoon or driven the lonely stretches of old Route 66? 
Have you ever heard the church bells peal their call to worship on an early Sunday in some small town in the deep south? Or pass through the redwood forest as the sun was going down? Have you ever been to Boise or Baxley or Beaufort or Billings? Have you ever passed through Sanford or Suffolk or San Angelo? Have you ever seen the falls at Niagara, the Ice Palace in St. Paul, or the Gateway to the West? This then is America, the land God blesses with everything. And no Eiffel Tower, no Taj Mahal, no Alps, no Andes, no Native Hut, nor Royal Palace can rival her awesome beauty, her diverse population, her monolithic majesty. America the free, America the mighty, America the beautiful. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <laughs>